says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I am about to give to you, to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Amen. Bless you. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, mate. Thank you for your invitation here to come and speak again. Um, This is a lovely place for us to come and share. Um, I do feel at home. It's my third visit, and you have got a lovely environment here, Um, a family environment, and there's a huge buzz going on. So I want to encourage you to continue in that process. Um, it's, it's very uplifting for me. Thank you. Um, this morning, I just want to talk to you a little bit about my personal journey uh, at Stand By Me, how uh, I became director and my walk of faith. Um, and I, I guess like most people here, we've all experienced um, a time when God seems to bless us and everything's going well and all of a sudden we get hit from left, right, and center with issues and crises. We get attacked. We tend to see those things. Whenever you have a high, there's always a low coming behind them sometimes. And throughout my life, I've experienced spiritual attacks. And I'm guessing that's the same for most of us here. We've all experienced that. And there are certain aspects of our lives that the devil tends to attack And there are many areas, but in one particular area where I think he schemes and he develops ways and strategizes to attack us in ways that we can't always see. And and I believe this is an area, an attribute of our life that we're going to need if we are going to become everything that God wants us to be. It's a particular ingredient that we need as Christians to develop and become who he has called us to be, and that is the area of courage. Now, you've guessed it maybe this morning. It's a long section of the Bible. Sometimes people give you small verses, but it's important to put that in context. But courage for God is an essential part of being a Christian. And I think it's an essential ingredient for us as we grow. And some of you guys would know that I grew up in Lebanon, in war-torn Beirut. I grew up in an orphanage, um, and... 
It wasn't the best environment. It wasn't the, the, the happiest childhood. It wasn't a caring environment where I grew up. It was a very tough environment. But even though um, I was the kind of child that uh, I was the child that always asked the questions. I was the child that was always on the challenging front. I wasn't shy. Uh, I became the child that kids came, the boys came to me to ask to challenge authority. Whenever things went wrong, I became the, the I guess, the union rep for the kids. Um, and and, and I, I, I developed a reputation for that. But something happened when I was 12. Um, we had a young child that was left on the doorstep of the orphanage. His name was Fadi. And Fadi was, we were told, he was six years old, but he couldn't talk or walk. And he was poorly um, abused by his family. He was... Um, Half Lebanese, half Sri Lankan. Um, the mum was a maid, so the father never claimed him. And in Lebanon, if you don't have a father, you can't get ID and you can't get citizenships. So he was left outside this orphanage, and he was brought into my unit. We had a unit of 12 boys with a, with a mum. And this parent was very, very abusive. She was violent. She would get angry quite often. And this boy brought in so many challenges to her that he would wet the bed every night, and she was getting frustrated with him. And one day I had a job when I was 12 to, to shower, give him a shower, and his body was covered with bruises, blue. Um, it was an awful scene. But we didn't have the courage to go and tell the director of how awful this mum was. So the only way I could do it was to use my pocket money. My sponsor in England had sent me $10 and I went and got myself one of these cameras. Do you remember the cameras, the action kind of camera system? I bought this camera, but I didn't have enough money to buy a film. So I had to wait 28 days to be exact. I counted the calendar until I got my next pocket money. Then I went and got this film, took this picture of this boy. Then I realized I didn't have enough money to develop it. So it's quite a... So I went to the to the photographer, and I told him the situation. I said, this is what I've got. I've got evidence. Can you help me develop these films, and I will pay you in, in a month's time? So he goes back into his red room in the back. Remember those days where you can develop the films? Yeah, I'm not that old, right? But... <laughs> that was a trick that was, you remember. Um, he went back, and he came out crying. He developed these pictures, and he was so helpful. He gave me an envelope. Uh, some paper, he helped me write a report, and I delivered it to the director. Not the director, I put it under his office, so no one knew it was me. I was too scared for that. But somehow, um, this lady was dismissed, she got a sack, but somehow, people figured out it was me. And I became public enemy number one with the house parents. And whenever I would speak, whenever I would challenge, whenever I would say something, they would make fun of the way I talked. They would make fun of my heritage, my name. Um, they would undermine me. They would um, not encourage me to speak. And it got so bad. It got so bad that throughout the orphanage time and all the way till I was 14, until I arrived in England, I started to develop the most awful stutter. I could not speak. And I was suffering with that. And as I look back at my childhood, I be it became evident that the devil had used his parents to undermine me, to take away my voice. And it was tough, you know, when you're growing up. And all the way through, 
for years and years, for over 10 years, I was struggling with this stutter. And it was, I did not have a voice. And I remember going to work my, when I finished university. I went to work. I got myself a job at uh, Lloyd's TSB, a very good job. And they sold me this amazing job. And I arrived in IT security for the, for the, for the, for the bank. And my first job was to cover for the receptionist. Receptionist for IT security. The bank had so many systems, so many security systems, that they would have breaches. And the IT team was to get phone calls to block these breaches. And they had a, a clock and a timer on, the, on this office, and they would tell you how many calls you had. And one day I had about 140 calls. And the calls would come with IT jargons. And I had to kind of decipher what they were saying. And I'm trying to write it down. And I could not talk. The more calls I get, the more panic I got. And the more panic I got, my stuff got worse. It was awful. I was having a nervous breakdown. Honestly, the first couple of weeks, it was so tough. And I remember I would walk from Blackfriars Bridge in London across to the river. And that was a long, nice walk. And I would pray to God that he would give me back my voice. And sometimes I would walk around the block a couple of times just to have the courage to talk. And it was just such, a, such a, an awful time. And, but one day I felt God was starting talking to me. In that three-week period, this lady had the longest holiday in my life, right? Um, I was praying and praying and praying and she... And but God started talking to me. It was like God was asking me, Ahmed, who did I call to speak? And he was reminding me of all the time that I stood up to bullies and those people that were against injustice. And then God started talking through people. And they would speak love and encouragement into my life. And they would tell me about the purpose of God on my life. You know, but sometimes... It's not what other people say about you. You recognize it, right? It's not what they say about you. And sometimes it's not even what God says about you. The truth is, it's what you believe God says about you. That's the emphasis about it. Until you, if you don't believe, until the day you believe, a devil will attack, will undermine, will take away your courage, the very thing that you need to grow. It's, it's, it's what he does, isn't it? The first thing in the Bible, the first thing he puts, we see that. He sows, sows doubt, doesn't he? Yeah. Did God really say? That's the first thing he says, isn't it? Yeah. It's the scheming aspect. Because the devil is after our courage. Yeah. He's after our courage and what God says about us. He wants to disbelief. Yeah. He wants us to have unbelief in the area that God has called us. You know, in the story of Elijah... And interesting, in that time when I was walking across the bridge, this verse was given to me. And I, I, you know, sometimes you, you skip through the Bible, don't you? The stories that don't stick out, do they? Um, and the story in this Elisha was interesting for me because I loved history and all the kind of the judges area and all these sections about the war and how the Israelites overcame. There's one section of the story where Elisha is getting his soldiers ready. And the soldier drops his axe in the water. Now, got to think about the Iron Age and that kind of stuff. An axe is like a tank. It's like a tank. And he drops it in the water. 
And then he goes to him and he says, I've dropped my axe in the water. Do you recognize that story? And interesting, he doesn't say, well, how stupid is that? How can he lose an axe? He doesn't say that. He says, where did it fall? That's the verse. It says, where did it fall? So the soldier shows him and he says, it fell over there. And Elisha drops his stick in the water and the axe resurfaces. It's interesting, this stuff, isn't it? And it was like God was saying to me, Ahmed, where did you lose your courage? He's like saying, where did, go back to where you lost your courage and drop my name there and let your courage resurface. That's what God keeps saying to us. He's continuing in that level. He wants us to go back to where he'd have us be. See, we are surrounded with this courage and fear. The devil wants to shut us down. It's not of his interest that, he, that we are fulfilled in God. So he is trying to undermine that. And back at the bank, I was doing well. That period of three weeks became three years, and I was climbing up the corporate level. I was doing really well. I was on a graduate scheme. Money was going well. And I just felt that this wasn't the right place for me anymore. So I went and told my boss that I was leaving. I was going to go and work for Stand By Me. And my boss thought I was mad. I worked at St. Paul's, a lovely new building with a director, the exec director for the bank. And he thought I was mad. So that Friday, I left London, all nice and suits. And I ended up on a Monday morning working in, in our founding director's shed at the bottomless garden. I thought I was mad. Honestly. But the truth is, this is important. Someone told me this a long time ago, and it's ever been true. Our greatest destiny is always on the other side of our fear. It takes courage, doesn't it? Your purpose in life is just waiting around the corner. You have to open that door to allow God to operate. We need to work. We have to operate in courage. And we know the story of Joshua, don't we, right? Yeah. That's the verse. It's so important, isn't it? Here we have Joshua taken over from Moses. I don't know how many years he was in as an apprentice. Right? You've had three years here, right? Moses have had with Joshua how many years he had. He's seen the greatest Israelite in history do incredible things. And yet, he did not feel qualified he did not feel strong in himself. He was doubting himself. And, and, but here we see God trying to give him a pep talk, right? He's trying to encourage him, trying to shake him up. Because he needs him to take his people into the promised land. This is the person, he's hanging everything on this guy. And you know what it says? I didn't realize, but seven times God had to tell him to be courageous. It's incredible, isn't it? Now, I don't know if maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm too arrogant, but I thought if I'd seen all this stuff and God is having a, I think I'll have more courage, wouldn't you? But no, he had doubt. You know, seven times he keeps telling him to be courageous. Now, I don't know this morning how you, you guys are at, where you're, 
how you're feeling. I don't know what demons you're fighting, what challenges you're facing, what issues you are you can't see or overcome. But I do feel God is saying to you this morning. I do feel God is saying to us individually, have I not commanded you? Have I not told you to be strong and courageous? Essential for us to grow. You know, because I, I recognize, you know, it's, um, sometimes it's a flipping word to be courageous. And we, we, we read the Bible, don't we? We see these people crossing the Red Sea and, and doing incredible things. And why can't we have that? But God recognizes that. You know, you and I will face challenges in life that are bigger than us. You know, we will face issues with our families, with our health, with finances and relationships. These are all issues that are there to block us. They're not easy. You have a health issue, it's not easy, is it? It's challenging. If you're dealing with mental issues or physical issues, these are issues that are there. And the devil will try to use that to wrap us in fear. See, fear is a spirit that comes to crumble us. That's what it does, doesn't it? it? It restricts us. It takes away our voice. All these things are there to attempt to bully us into a corner and to stop us from talking. Now, there's, there's a couple of characters in, the, characters in the Bible that I love reading about when I was growing up. One was Joseph. What a character. Another one was David. You know, as a, as a young boy, David was our hero. You know, if you're just, that's the one that you kind of wanted to emulate. Um, and as a young shepherd, he is called by God, isn't he? Yeah. And interesting, on his first day on, uh, on the job, his first day on the job, what did he do? He faces a giant. Mention that on your first day at work. Yeah. That's really that's what it is. That's his first day that... You know, of course, he's done other things, but in the moment where he gets the job, that people know who he is, his first day on the job is to face this giant. And it's very interesting, you know, he says he, he, was, he was outsized, wasn't he? Outskilled. Yeah. And David doesn't come and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm ready for you, right? He doesn't say that. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. What a confidence to have that, isn't it? Yeah. He didn't just throw a stone at him. He threw God's name at him. That's what's important for us. And, and we are all finding these issues. You know, God is going to call us to do things that are greater than us. Yeah. They are much bigger than us. They seem to be impossible. But we all need to take courage and to trust in him. And that's what we're doing at Stand By Me. It's, it's a challenging time yeah. to run a charity. You'll find everyone struggling. How to actually keep things going? We have 4,000 kids. How do we keep the operation running? It's a challenging time in this day and age. But we take courage. Because as we go into this giant and obstacles of how to provide the needs of kids, and when we hear of tremendous abuse around the world and challenges, we take confidence that God is ahead of us. 27 years of seeing God in operation. Not as long as Joshua, but we are there and we see God. We see hope. We see kids coming to faith. 
And kids around the world are experiencing God's love because we are stepping in that gap. We want to go to places where no one wants to see. We want to help kids who no one wants to pick up. We pick them up and dust them down and we help them on their own feet. You know, this last week I was in a meeting with, with our directors in Burma. And we discussed every week the issues they're facing. I would appreciate your prayers for that country. Uh, it's a tough time to be a Christian in Myanmar. And the one joy moment in that meeting was about that new kid, Rebecca, that was left on our doorstep. And everyone's excited about this new baby who joined us. Everyone's excited. It's wonderful, isn't it, to have a baby in your family? But in my mind, I'm thinking, that's 25 more years of care, isn't it? You're making a covenant with kids. When they come to you, they're going to be with us for the next 25 years. It takes courage to say yes. It takes courage. And their hope and prayer is about how can she become a woman for God. Already they're planning for that. What an incredible thing, isn't it? This morning, I just want to take you, I'm trying to go on my time here, I'm trying to take you to one of our countries, to Ethiopia. I wish I had more time, but I want to focus on one place where God has challenged us um, along the way. To help us stand firm. This is Ethiopia. Um, I grew up in Lebanon. And Lebanon was a very bad country in many ways in the civil war. But the one place that was worth in Lebanon was Ethiopia. It, it, it came on our news. You know, they, we can see kids are hungry. So it got things so bad in Lebanon. If someone was skinny, they would say, are you from Ethiopia? It's such an awful thing, terms, to say. So but one day, this gentleman knocked on our door and he kept on talking about Ethiopia, and he kept on saying, why don't you work in Ethiopia? And I'm like, well, God hasn't called us to Ethiopia. So we gave him some money to, 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 so he can leave. We gave him a donation so he can actually go and do his work. And next week he came again. Why don't you come to Ethiopia? So after a long time, I said, yes, I'll come. So I went to Ethiopia, and we arrived in Addis Ababa, and the option for transport was private SGV, one of these big kind of SGVs, for 400 pounds higher, or £2.50 on a local bus. £2.50 is. So I'm sitting on this bus, and my guide had no idea where we're going. How, many, how, how far is it, he said? 180 miles. It's not bad, is it? Nine hours later, I'm still on this bus, full of chickens and everything else. It was awful. Not even a toilet break. We get there, and... I didn't know what I was expecting. The church was in full operation. 500 strong, this church. Amazing church. They've got all their money together and they were setting up a school for, for their kids. Two modern huts. These are the two modern huts that I saw. And inside, it was like sardine cans. It wasn't a school really. It was, it was an awful place to be. But that's the best they can do. A collection of 62 pounds a month was allowing them to send two, two teachers to teach those kids. And there was no water, no electricity, no, no toilets, no food. Kids came hungry and left even worse. And conditions were awful. This was a local council house. It was six foot by eight foot and awful conditions. And I just, I'd never seen anything like that before. I experienced poverty at this level. And... Um, a town 
of 36,000 people had six taps for the whole town. Six taps. Can you imagine that? So most kids didn't have time to go to school. You'd have to wait about six hours in line to get water. So most of the kids would get water from the stream. You know, just think this through. How many taps do you have in your house? The average house has six taps. Maybe more. Maybe you get counting. I'll ask questions later. How many taps? Start thinking that through. But six taps in the whole town. And they took me to, to this area, an empty field, and they said, look, we have this land. Can you help us build a school? I'm starting thinking, I'm panicking. This is beyond us. We can't do that. And inside that class, I didn't realize, but so many kids were living with HIV. An awful place to be. One doctor would come to this town for three days in the month. That is the healthcare that we're talking about. If you're wondering about the National Service, just keep in mind. And we felt God was calling us to operate in that place. And before I left, I said yes, and I was mad. Really, the truth is I have to go back to our board of trustees and plan and strategize. But I knew God was saying, this is the place to operate. This is where God wants us to be. In the places no one wants to visit. And after you visit Zanzibar, come by Ethiopia. <laughs> we would love um, midwives in Ethiopia. Desperate situations. Desperate situations. And God blessed and honored our courage. And today... We have 560 kids in that school. We, we built an amazing classrooms and we have the best teachers in this. We have the best school in the whole state. God's honored all that stuff. And there's food. Kids come on Saturdays and Sundays and they're coming and they eat something called injera. If you don't like your food, don't go to Ethiopia. But injera is. It's not great, really, but yeah. <laughs> the best way I can describe it is a wet pancake. Sour pancake that you pour meat on top of that, and it's awful. <laughs> but the kids love it. They love it. They come every day, and they eat so much of this stuff. And we are seeing kids blessed. And I just want to quickly finish the story if I can, and I'll show you one film at the end. And one of my stories here of um, this town called Bokaji, they didn't have any visitors. I was the only person who would come from, from the West, and I would come, and there'd be queues waiting to see you. I was very popular. It's amazing. If I have a coffee, there'd be people waiting. There'd be, there'd, there'd be traffic on the high street. Yeah. Wherever I went, people used to go and follow you. And then one, late, one day, this lady was following, and she shouted something in Amharic, and the marketplace went quiet. And the translation came back to me, and she said, help me, I've got HIV. It's a, it's a, and I realized that my, I've spent time in Kenya and other places to recognize that you never admit you've got HIV in public. The, the stigma behind that was awful, but she was so desperate. I felt so annoyed about it because my presence had allowed her to believe that I can help her and I couldn't fix her. You know, what you want to do in that time is to put your hand on her and heal her. A week later... One of the boys that I got really attached to died from HIV. I came back to England. I was so distraught. I, I was feeling so proud about what we've done. We built the school and everything was going well. And yet there are kids dying from HIV in our school. We're building a school that kids will not see beyond grade three. And I came back and I was so challenged. I was so challenged for what God was 
was doing. And I, I was angry with God. I didn't go to the office for a week. And then we got a phone call and someone says uh, they want a speaker in Ireland, in Belfast, as a church. And I thought, I'll go. I'll go and speak in Ireland. When is it? Oh, Thursday night. It must be. It must be like a men's group, a women's group. But I'll go and speak. So I went. There, there was some miscommunication. I arrived in this, in this church and it was a medical conference. A medical conference. And they invited three charities. I'm not sure how they found about us. <laughs> Tifon was there and some other medical organization. They were offering this church. This church is big. There's a 120 nurses and doctors in this church. It's incredible. Look at that. Specialist people. And they had their own medical conference to send people on mission. So I listened to Tifond and they were very, very good. This other organization had charts and everything. And I was like, wow, nobody told me about this. <laughs> well, they were talking about stuff I couldn't spell. You know, everyone had half an hour. I had half an hour and I lasted five minutes. I, I just didn't, I didn't know what to say. I, I wasn't qualified for this. I simply said that we don't have a hospital or a clinic. We don't have medical people. If you want an adventure, come with us. You know, amazingly, four weeks later, I'm on a plane with an HIV consultant, three GPs, and an HIV nurse. Incredible. So all that pain and anger with God, God was preparing me for that. You know how it works, don't you? I'll tell you one more thing. And I, I, this, our guide in Ethiopia had promised the world. He can get us licenses and everything else. I'm on a plane with these people and I'm not sleeping because we have nothing. I'm, I'm having a panic attack here. Everyone's sleeping soundly. The plane to Ethiopia leaves at night. Everyone sleeps. I'm the only one awake. Thinking, God, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get these guys to work in Ethiopia without a license or access to medication? The guy next to me speaks broken English. And he said, oh, trying to explain. He said, my brother works in the medical. That's all he can say. So at that time, I'll go and see him. Tell me where he lives and I'll go. So he arranged an appointment. We land in Ethiopia at 6 in the morning. At 9, we're meeting his brother. Now, his brother wasn't the brother. He was the health minister for the country. Can you believe that? We go in this room and this table so long is on the other end. He was delighted. He gets his stamp and stamps, stamps a couple of times on this letter. But it has to be typed. There's no generator. We have to wait for four hours. But in the end, we get this license. And God honors. You know, that day, we spent a week and over a thousand people were seen. Um, as a result of that, we have an HIV program in, in Bokuchi. You know, we've been working in since 2006 in Bokuchi, and since then, no child has died from HIV. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I'll go back to Gannett. Her bravery, her courage, really, transformed that project. There are people that come, they get food, 
They've got, they're proud, not proud, but they, they, they're not ashamed of being HIV. And you look around, the food we give them on a monthly basis, kids are turning from HIV AIDS to HIV. It's, it's changing us numbers. And here they are, primarily women. And you all know why, don't we? The men are having sex outside marriage and they, they leave their wives with HIV. That's what we're doing at Stand By Me. We're trying to transform um, the kids and the kids that we are operating with. If I can get the, the um, if I can have the team back here, um, I'll stop here if I can in a second. Um, I just want to play one film. Can I do I have a time for one more film to play? Um, in Ethiopia, in Bokaji, we are doing a great work, but our kids are graduating from our schools. We've got 100% pass mark at GCC levels. And something happens between our school and the government high school. The kids are not supported, and especially girls. The girls are going to these compounds. And in order to get support, there's a lot of sexual favors required. It's an awful environment to be. That's the government high school. So this year, we are taking that courage step by standing for our kids, and we are starting to build a high school center in Bokaji. It sounds mad, if I'm honest. When I told our board they were going to build this this year, they thought I was nuts. But amazing how God provides, doesn't he? We've got all the money to build this high school center within three months. It's amazing. Um, I just want to share this film with Meharet. That's her story. We've started a campaign. If you want to be part of this project, maybe part of what we're doing, come and speak to me at the end. Um, we're, we want people to help us to equip this center. If you want to come and be engaged with Stand By Me and sponsor a child with us before Compassion comes in here. Um, <laughs> we, are, we, are, we are better, I'll tell you that, we are better. Come later, I'll give you some lessons what we do. Um, our sponsorship coordinator is here. A lot of you sponsor. Her name is Nicola. You'll get letters from her usually. So come and speak to us at the end. There are families, there are kids who would love to be sponsored by you.